0: Hey, everybody, my name is Tyler McKay, and we want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon audio of Sojourn Church. Sojourn is a church that is committed to the gospel and the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. We hope that this collection of sermons both inspires you and challenges you to live a life of intentionality where you seek to make disciples. If you'd like to learn more about our church family, you can go online and check out our website at sojournpdx.org. One quick word of encouragement before we begin this episode's sermon. We at Sojourn absolutely love it that you're tuning in to what God's teaching us here. But more than anything else, we want this podcast to be supplementary to an already growing devotion to your own church body and nothing else. This collection and others like it are great in making God's word to us more available and understandable, but it can never be a healthy substitute for real participation in the body of Christ. Enjoy this sermon.
1: Gathering more things up here, so you know, new challenges. But good evening, it's great to be back here with everyone. Uh, we didn't have a gathering here last week because we had good news today that some of you attended and some of you took the week off, which is okay. And so it feels like it's been a while since we've all been together, so I'm excited that we can all be back uh, here tonight. I'm personally feeling refreshed. If you have uh, me on Facebook, you've seen me posting a bunch of pictures from San Francisco where my family was able to get away for the week, away from Portland, and just really get re-energized and soak in family time. So I did no emails, no social media while I was gone, and just um, had a great time being able to connect with one another prior to the kids going back to school. So it's hard to believe that we're getting towards the end of the summer months here in Portland. If you're new with us tonight, my name is Matt. I'm the pastor of Sojourn Church, and we like to say we're a group of ordinary people changed by the love of Jesus that are living out his mission to our community, our city, and our world. Uh, We do that. A variety of ways. It relates to living out our, our three main values, which are gospel, which is simply the good news of Jesus, family, we're family to one another, and mission. We're on mission both here locally and globally, and so we care about the needs around us, but also all around the world. Um, and simply, we are inviting people in the city of Portland to learn what it means to follow Jesus and follow him faithfully. And so we're coming kind of off of a, a summer high where we've done a lot of events, and sometimes we question why do we do those events, and why put all the energy and effort and even money into those things, and that's really why. Because we want an opportunity to to build relationships with people and to, to bridge relationships to Jesus and say, come join us on this journey of learning what it means to follow him faithfully. Two weeks ago when we gathered, we wrapped up our summer series around the table where we looked at joining Jesus in the ordinariness of life. If you missed any of those weeks, I believe they're all on our website now. Yes, Tyler, they're on our website or Spotify or iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. I don't think we really need any more formats than that. So one of those three, I do encourage you to go back and listen to those just because it's a way for you to learn what God is saying to our church and what God is doing in the life of our church family here. Summer is one of our busiest times of year. Uh, outreach events, we have concerts in the park, a kids camp we did right down the street here, multiple mission teams have come in, uh, neighborhood cookouts that we've done, and then we hit the Alberta Street Fair. And so if you're like me, when you hit the Alberta Street Fair, you're kind of like, okay, I'm done. I've, I've done enough. We keep putting items on the calendar, uh, but that's the, the season, right? We're in the time of year, we have all this daylight, and we do these things, but you get to that point and you're just like, I am, I think I'm over it. I'll be honest, I was kind of at that point, the day before the Alberta Street Fair, even I'm like, do I really want to do this. Ah, I've agreed to do this and we've signed up and we've paid money and we've promised the executive director that we would be there. And so we followed through and we had a great time. But we're, you get to this point and you might be feeling, I'm kind of getting, you know, you're either burnt out or you just feel like you need some rest. And so that's what we're going to look at the next couple of weeks. We're going to take this idea of rest, which really seems contrary to what we've done all summer. Because if if anything, we've done the opposite of rest. It's been filling our calendars with lots of events and and trying to meet people and network and and get our name out there. But now I want us to kind of focus in and say, what does it mean to rest? Um, Tonight we're going to be looking at the book of Exodus, chapter 17. And we're going to look at the first uh, seven verses. And the the sermon title, really the emphasis the next couple of weeks is Resting in God's Provision. And so it's not about our work and what we're able to do, but really what God is doing and what God has done on our behalf and that we can rest in him. And so feel free to go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn there or swipe up and open your Bible app and find the book of Exodus. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the foyer. If you don't own a Bible and you want one, you can keep that. That's your gift from us here at Sojourn. Exodus, if you're new to the Bible, it's the second book of the Bible, so you're going to open it, you're going to find Genesis, you're going to flip a few more pages, you're going to find the book of Exodus, and then flip until you see the big number 17, and that's where we'll camp out this evening. How many of you have ever taken a long road trip? I right, get to raise your hands? long road trip. I know a lot of us have moved across the country, so you've taken that road trip if nothing else. Part of our week away was driving down to San Francisco. We did not fly there, and so a 10-hour drive, which is not everyone's idea of a restful vacation, but I enjoy a a road trip, especially like the drive down to California is beautiful. We live in a very beautiful part of the country, but if you've ever taken a long road trip, somewhere along the way you go to, to grab one more handful of peanuts or one more handful of Chex Mix, and you realize all the snacks are gone. Now, normally at that point in my car, maybe in your car, you end up looking at the person next to you, in my case it has to be Andrea, and she would say, did you really eat the rest of the Chex Mix? This actually happened last week when we were on vacation. Did you really eat the rest of that, that trail mix? And, and usually it is, yes, I, I did. Is that okay? I'm, I'm driving, right? I kind of get defense. I'm driving here. Shouldn't I be able to eat this Like while I'm driving? Keep myself awake. I can't take a nap. And so imagine you go to grab one more handful, and you come up, and it's just crumbs. And you're like, oh, okay, the snacks are out. And then you realize whoever packed the cooler that morning didn't pack enough water. So now you're out of water. You're out of snacks. People are starting to get hungry in the car. So around the same time last year, my family wanted to get away. Once again, it was raft right after Alberta Street Fair, and we said, let's go up to Victoria, British Columbia. So we drove four hours to Port Angeles, Washington, took a ferry over. That's a beautiful drive as well. If you've never been to Victoria, I encourage you to put that on your list of places to go on vacation. Well, on our way home, we said, let's take the scenic route, because who doesn't love driving even longer in the car with three young kids? I think we're, we're the crazy ones here. And so let's take the scenic route, where you go all the way around the Olympic National Park, and you get to see lots of just forest and you know, tons of just country, and there's hardly anything out there, but it's beautiful scenery. But we failed to think through the drive properly, because we passed through the small town of Forks, Washington, right around five thirty six p.m., which you think, that's around dinner time, at least in my house, and we said, "Nah, we're not hungry yet, let's just keep driving, we're making good time. So we keep driving, and then we get to a point where we realize we're almost out of gas. The gas light came on. We, you know, we had no cell service, so we're looking through the, the manual. Like, what, you know, how many miles can we actually get when the light comes on? You've probably been there. Is it 10 miles? Is it 25? How many miles can you actually go? And then we see a little sign that says, gas station this way. Now, it's three miles out of the way. And I, I like to make good times. I'm like, I really don't want to do that, because that's a six-mile round trip to get back to the main highway. But thankfully, guys, I don't know. Usually, I do the driving at my house, because Andrea doesn't want to drive in. Thankfully, I listened to my wife. And she had wisdom in saying, we need to go to that gas station. So we get to the gas station. We gas up the car. There's only one problem. The gas station is closed. Now, we can get gas. Thankfully, they had a card swipe. But the gas station is closed. So there's no snacks. There's no getting the gas station hot dog to, to feed our, our, our rumbling stomachs at this point. And so we continue to drive, and we drive for what seemed like another three or four hours. I don't really remember exactly how long it was. We just drove and drove and drove. One of our kids threw up in that part of that drive to make it, you know, we got to stop and I clean up the throw up. And we finally managed to drive into this small little town. I don't even remember the name of it in Washington. And we look, and there's a big, bright sign in green, white, and yellow letters that read Subway which in that moment was like manna raining down from heaven because we knew that we were going to get to that subway, and thankfully they were open, and we were going to get some food. I tell you this story because tonight we're going to jump right into the middle of the books of, book of Exodus. So um, there's obviously 16 chapters prior to this, and there's more chapters after this, so we're jumping right in the middle, and we're going to see the Israelites are murmuring against God. and this, this is the third time that you'll see this in the book of Exodus, and this time it involves water. So, go ahead now and look at Exodus 17. I believe it will be on the screen next to me as well. We're going to look at the first seven verses. Verse 1 All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand the staff of which you struck the Nile, and go." Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Pray with me as we get started this evening. God, we want to come to you and thank you for this opportunity to open your word. God, we've had a busy summer, we've had a lot on our calendars, a lot on our plates. We've gotten to interact with lots of different people in the community, and we're thankful for all those opportunities. But God, may we look tonight at the idea of resting in your provision. Not only resting it, but also trusting in it. Knowing that you are a God who provides for us, and that we are able to rest in spite of all of our efforts, in spite of all of our works. God, we ask that your spirit would rain down in this room tonight, and that you would speak to every single one of us. And God, we would walk out of here a different person. In your name. Amen. So the premise of this passage that we just read, at first it seems like there's a water problem. If you've ever studied the book of Exodus, you'll realize that this is the third time that we see the Israelites grumbling against Moses out of concern for their own physical provision. So really, it's out of out of probably some good motives. Like think about me providing for my family. I'm going to Moses saying, "Hey, like we're hungry. Like I got to feed my kids, or we're thirsty. We gotta we gotta have water in order to live." The first time this happened was in Exodus 15, two chapters back, verses 24 through 25. It says, And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log. And he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statue and a rule, and there he tested them. So that's the first time we see it. We see Moses' response. He throws a log in the water, and all of a sudden now they've got this sweet water they're able to drink. The second time was in Exodus 16, verses 2 and 3. says, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full? For he have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And so what we see happening here, time and time again, is there's complaining and grumbling. And what this is, it's a sign of their ungratefulness, their self-centeredness, their immaturity, and their insecurity. Complaining is what my three children do on a long road trip while we're in our Honda Pilot on the way home from Canada or San Francisco. As they say, are we there yet? Dad, are we there yet? I'm like, no, we got a few more hours. Or can we have one more snack? I'm still hungry. I can't tell you how many times I heard that last week. I'm still hungry. Or can I have the iPad again? I want the iPad for a few more minutes, which we put time constraints on that. If you're a parent, you should put, don't just give it to the kid. Give him some time constraints. Let him get bored sometimes. But that's what, that's what complaining and grumbling, that's what I think about the Israelites. I think about my three kids in the back of our car and, and kind of going through this motion. So here we are again. The people are complaining. Because they've forgotten that if God could part the Red Sea, then he can provide water to drink. It tells us that he, they're led to this place called Rephidim, which they thought was going to be a resting place. So let's imagine, we, you, you think you're going to this place, this is where you're going to find rest, this is where you're going to get some nourishment, maybe some food, some water. And so this probably had them initially excited. We can, we can relate, you've probably been going to places and you get excited because, man, this is going to be a restful time. But unfortunately for them, the brochures just didn't live up to the hype. You see the brochures, the pictures on the website. I don't even know who uses brochures anymore. But you see the picture on the website, you're reading the Yelp review of the hotel, and you're like, this looks great. But you arrive, and you see that the swimming pool has green algae in it, and it's shut down because they're, they're having to redo the whole thing. You're like, well, sorry, kids, we can't get in the pool now. There are holes in the sheets at the hotel. And you think, I don't to say the highest standards, but now your wife's like, I'm not sleeping in that bed because I'm pretty sure those sheets are dirty, and they were used by the people that were here last night. And the shower, it just doesn't drain. So by the end of your shower, you're standing in your own filth, which, by the way, that's a pet peeve of mine. If, if I ever go to work, sh- I'm just like, I'd rather just not shower. I'll be dirty for another day. I hate standing in my own, just my own water. It's just a pet peeve. And so it ends up not being the resting place that they thought they were going to find. They get there and discover there is no water. We, you, why did, Moses, why did you bring us out here? We're thirsty, and you bring us to this place, and it's just dry. And so they had a bad situation in Exodus 15 at Mara, where they had water, but the water was bitter. So in that case, they found water, but the water's, it's, it's bitter to taste. And nobody wants to drink bitter water. But what, what do we see God do? God provides sweet water for them through the use of a log. That's pretty cool. I'd, I'd be awesome if, if my, you know, there was some water somewhere. I'd just throw a log down and out sweet. So they had sweet water. And then they had been hungry as they advanced further into the wilderness. We see in Exodus 16. And they're going, we're hungry, we don't have any food. And what happens? They come out and there's bread, there's manna raining down from heaven. And now here they are at this place where it's not bad water, it's not bitter. There's just no water at all. And, and so they're starting to grow thirsty and they're getting, they're, they're, they're dry. And they're going, what, what are we going to do here? Now, before we are too quick to judge, let's be honest with ourselves and kind of do a little inspection of your own life, or your own heart. We're just like the people. We're just like the Israelites. We too easily find ourselves grumbling. Because you would think at this point, I know we're kind of diving into the middle of the story here, but you would think at this point, after all that the Israelites had been through, all that God had delivered them from, that at least one person would know what to expect. There's got to be like the straight-A student, the one who doesn't study, who, just, who always just does a really good job. Like they've got to be going like, ah, wait, guys, I've got it. But let's think about it for a second. The water was bad. He threw a stick in the water and suddenly he could drink it. We have no food. We wake up and there's food raining down from the sky. And so you, th- you would think one person, okay, one person would have caught on and said, Wait, guys, we're, let, we should be in anticipation of what God's about to do. Because remember these other two times? Like, you think they were referencing this. This has happened a couple times before. Let's just hold on a minute. God's going to come through. Or at least cry out to God in prayer instead of just starting out by complaining. You'd think they'd be like, God, we've been here before. We know you can deliver. Please provide. But no. Instead, they show their immaturity and they return to what they've always done. They start murmuring. They start complaining. Look back at verses 2 and 3. It says, Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? We see that this third time of murmuring, it turns ugly as they start to now quarrel with Moses, which really if they're quarreling with Moses, it's them quarreling with God. They will deny God's sovereign protection as they forget what all he has protected them from up to this point. Up to this point in the story, they have experienced deliverance from the plagues, the crossing of the Red Sea. I mean, imagine you're driving home from work one day this week, and you're on your commute in our city, and all of a sudden the Willamette or the Columbia River just opens wide up. It's dry. You can ride your bike across or drive across or walk across. They've, they've experienced this with the Red Sea parting. And the Lord's provision of both water and food. So here we with water, again, they've already experienced this before, just a different kind of form of it. Yet, we find them showing a hardness of heart, just like Pharaoh and the Egyptians before them. This will later be described in Psalm 95, verses 7 through 9, when it says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as on the day at Massah in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. So the people they find fault in a lack of trust with their leader Moses. Maybe some of you have been there with me, and you ask they ask him to justify his leadership by providing water, and so they start attacking now this leader that God has provided for them, and they insist that their thirst and lack of water denies the position that he has been given by God. But by this point, Moses was used to putting the Lord to the proof. It's so Moses was like I've <laughs> I know it like I've, I've seen this before. This is a a rerun of a show that I've already had happen. And so he knows, like, okay, here they come again. They're going to complain. They're going to go, all right, God, I'm going to come to you again. And so in Exodus 16, verses 7 through 8, it says, And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. And so we do the same exact thing today every time we accuse God of trying to harm us in our trial. And we should remember that God has brought us through a greater exodus and He is worthy of total trust and rest in His provisions. But oh, how quickly we forget. How quickly we're just like the Israelites. And then we can point back to when God has delivered us from different things, from trials, from tribulations, from hardships yet what do, we, what do we do as soon as we find ourselves in that again? We start gr- complaining. We start grumbling. We don't turn to the God and, and thank him and, and say, God, I know, I know what, I don't know exactly what I'm going through. I don't understand it all, but I know you can deliver me again. No, we, t- we typically will start complaining and grumbling, start murmuring. He continues in verse four. He says, so Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? He's looking at God, what should I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And what's really is going on here is they have accused God of a plot to murder because they believe that God has brought them out there to kill them. And now we see them going after the leader, Moses. And so what they're really saying is, God, you gave us Moses, but you gave us Moses to bring us out to this dry and weary land so that we will actually die. We're actually going to die of thirst. And so there's an accusation against God here of really a plot to murder them. And Moses had always been doubtful that the people would ever trust or accept his leadership. And now he's he's really expressing more of a desperate fear for his own life. He believes they may actually kill me. God, like before they were complaining, and so I needed to come to you. But now they're actually going to attack me. Now they're actually coming after me. And where the Israelites always turn to complaining, we see Moses respond by doing what? Moses responds by crying out to God, and we see that the Lord will answer him in the next set of verses. What about you? Is your first reaction to the trouble in your life, is it a faith filled prayer like Moses? Or is it grumbling? Is it fear? Is it anxiety? Some of us have a condition that I call functional atheism. In other words, we don't believe in the God we say we believe in when we doubt, when we worry, or don't rest in the finished work of Jesus. Let me say that again. Some of us have what we call functional atheism. We don't believe in the God that we say we believe in or the God that we proclaim to the world around us when we doubt, when we have worry, or when we don't rest in the finished work of Jesus. Look with me at verses five and six. It continues on. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand the staff of which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. It's as if the people here have said, God, we're going to call you to the witness stand to give an answer. And what do we see God do? God shows up. But not only does he provide water, he also provides an answer to who he is. What's amazing to me, it's not just that God can do this miracle. We've, we've already seen this a couple of other times. Like at this point, not that the miracle shouldn't continue to amaze us, but it should be like, okay, Yep, there it is. There's another miracle. But he provides water, but he's also willing to do it for him. This is the amazing part of me, that he's still willing to do it for them after so much whining and complaining. If you do have kids, you know when it's whining and they're whining and complaining, like you don't want to do the the thing that you promised you were going to do for them, you don't want to do that any longer. You say, hey, we're going to do this, and if they whine and complain... Am I the only one? Am I? Am I talking to myself here? And my, and my wife, or maybe it's, if you don't have kids, maybe it's just a friend. You know, if that friend's comp- always complaining, like, All right, "Hey man, I don't want to do that with you anymore." Like, I know we were going to do that, but that just doesn't sound fun because you're always complaining about things. So this is what we call grace, and it's the grace of God, and His grace is sweet. God doesn't owe that to the Israelites. God doesn't owe that to us but what does God do? God chooses to stand before us, even though we are the ones that are supposed to stand before God as the ones on trial. God doesn't owe it to us to show up, but God shows up anyway. The smitten rock in this story, it provides a picture for us of Christ, who eventually would come to earth, be born of a virgin, live a perfect life, and go on to be the smitten on a cross on our behalf, becoming the fountainhead of blessing, the redeemer of the world. The command, you shall strike the rock, is understood to be God's command to Moses to strike himself. The result is that God himself is the source of life-giving water that flowed from the rock. Let that sink in for a minute. The incident that we're looking at, it provides the background for the New Testament when Paul says, the rock was Jesus. In 1 Corinthians ten four, it says, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ." Finally, in verse 7 of chapter 17, he says, And he called the name of the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now, the place where these events took place will bear the names for Israel that reflect the events themselves, which basically represent the two ways that Israel showed its lack of faith. The first we see is Massa. Massa means testing. The second is Meribah. Meribah meaning Quarreling. And so these are acts as a reminder for the people of what it is that they're doing. They're testing God. They're quarreling amongst themselves and after God. And so the Israelites decide to test the Lord by doubting his very presence. That's really what they're doing here. Yes, it seems like it's about their thirst, but they're doubting God's very presence. And even though there's a cloud, so if you're familiar with this story, you're familiar with the book of Exodus, there's a cloud that represents the presence of God right there next to them the entire time. So as these events are taking place, they can see this physical cloud moving alongside of them. Now, some of us in the room are like, man, I wish I had a cloud. That would be cool to be like, all right, I'm doubting you, but I see the cloud, so I know that you're there. Now, we have the Holy Spirit, and, 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 and people describe that different ways, but you kind of sense the Holy Spirit and you feel the Holy Spirit. But I don't know about you, I don't have the physical cloud that I can see. We've got a lot of clouds in Portland, but none of them are God that I'm aware of that's kind of floating there next to us. That, you, know, you would think, man, that, that right there is a the reason alone. They can say, no, I can point to this. But yet, we here they are, and they're doubting God himself. They're doubting the presence of God, even though God had given them this promise and, and this, this presence of this cloud was right there with them. This was an insult to God. This is like a child being knee deep in wrapping paper in boxes on Christmas morning and then looking to their parents and say, am I gonna get anything this year? Maybe you've been there, maybe, maybe you were that kid. Don't tell us if you were, or maybe you are that kid that you're like, oh, I mean, I've got paper everywhere and boxes everywhere, and I look at my like, am I gonna get what I wanted? <laughs> am I gonna get anything this year for Christmas? That would be an insult. I mean, I worked hard to get you those gifts that I gave you. Or this would be like me entering the kitchen You guys know that my wife is a really good cook. And so you see steam coming out of all all four burners. I see that the oven light is on. It's kind of warmer in the kitchen. And I looked at Andrea and said, am I going to eat tonight? (laughs) Like, hey, I'm hungry. I've been out all day. Now, I would probably have to call you guys or go out to eat somewhere at that point because I would no longer get to eat that food. But that would be an insult to her, knowing that she's, like, sitting there in the kitchen and sweating and getting food ready for our family and me to come and say, am I going to eat? Like, come on, babe, I'm hungry. This is exactly what the Israelites are doing to God here. Say, are you real? Are you, I'm thirsty, God. Israel's great problem was that they refused to remember who God is and what he had done. One obvious remedy to our own discontent and unbelief is to remember what God has done for us by resting and trusting in his provision. Just look back historically at your life, how God has provided for you. At this point, they're hurling insults at God, and we do the exact same thing. Now today, most of us do this a little more passively. So you might hear this thing, man, I don't, I don't do that. I don't, I don't question God, and I don't say, God, are you real? And maybe you, you, maybe you have said that. But I think for most of us, it's a little bit more passive. We would doubt God, we doubt God will provide for us. We also forget to pray like the Israelites, and we start to demand things from God. So instead of doing like Moses, most often, at least I can speak for myself, a lot of times I just, I quickly go to murmuring and go, man, you forgot about me, God? Like, God, what'd you bring me to Portland for? (laughs) This is not what I expected. This is not going how I, I thought it would go. Did you forget about me? Like, I know you called me here and you brought me here, but did you, now I feel like you left me alone sometimes. Maybe you're going through something right now. Maybe you've recently lost a job. Or maybe you're struggling to find a job. Or maybe you just aren't satisfied with the job that you do have. And you're going, really, God? I went to school for this. I spent all these years working hard at this, and this is the thanks I get. God, did you leave me? Did you forget me? Maybe you're dealing with some type of sickness. Maybe it's unknown to anyone else in the room, or maybe there's some type of sickness in your family. And you're going, God, why are we dealing with this? We're your followers. We shouldn't have to deal with this. There's this whole message called health and wealth, and that's, that's not from the Bible. That's, <laughs> that's not accurate. Maybe, maybe someone you love has recently been diagnosed with an incurable disease. I've got an uncle who just passed away. He found out he, he went to just to get a routine, not really routine checkup, but he had back problems, and he went to get some relief from his back. He would do this every month, and they found cancer all over his body. He went into the hospital. He was there for about nine weeks, and then he passed away. Like He just went to get some back relief. He'd been doing that for years, and that just happened recently. How do you think my aunt and my cousins are feeling right now? How do you think they're dealing with this right now? Maybe the initial lure of the city of Portland has let you down as the honeymoon phase has quickly faded away. You know, Portland's a very attractive city. a place to move to, especially if you, if, you, if you grew up in certain parts of the country. You're like, man, let me get to Portland. Like, all my problems will be solved. I can kind of start over. I can recreate myself. It tells me I can be anything I want to be. And then you get here, and, and you quickly settle in, and you realize, like, man, it is great, and we love this city. don't hear me wrong, but the, the honeymoon phase is kind of over, and now you're living real life, and you still have real problems and real bills to pay, and you're going, God, why did you bring me here? What, what am I doing here? This, this isn't familiar. This isn't comfortable. Back home was comfortable. I know I complained back there too, but it was comfortable. I kind of was comfortable in my complaints because I knew how to function, how life worked, and now I'm in this foreign land we call Portlandia, and I'm not sure how to live or function. Or maybe you're in the middle of a marriage or parenting crisis, and you just aren't sure what to do. You say, God, I just, I just I don't know how to handle it anymore. My kids are going through different stages, and I just don't know how to handle it give me wisdom. Or maybe maybe if you're, you're married, you're going through some marriage issues right now, and you're going, we've never dealt with this before. We just don't know what to do. So maybe you're dealing with that or some other issue. And maybe your posture is, God, if you actually cared for me, then I wouldn't be going through this situation. Because if you cared for me, there, there's no way that you would allow me to experience this. Five years ago, most of you know this, but maybe not all the details. My family returned from spending a couple of years in South Asia as missionaries. We were doing church planting. It was really our, kind of our first church planting stint and equipping nationals to go out and plant churches. And we served in a very difficult, difficult area and context, but we returned kind of off of what I call like a ministry high. We got to see success. We got to see a number of churches started. And so we came back, and we're speaking at churches and sharing about how God had, had done all of these things. And then we, we found ourselves... Family of four at the time, Oliver wasn't born yet, and we had sold all our possessions, and so we get back, and I've got no job. We hardly own anything other than the suitcases we brought back with us. And my posture without realizing it was, God, you owe me. Like, I went to this place, now it's your turn to pay me back. You owe me. I got rid of everything. I did the hard life, the things you read about missionaries doing. Like, all right, God, now now it's your turn. Like, what am I going to get? And it was passive. I didn't realize that was boiling up in my heart, but my heart started demanding a job, and not just any job, a certain type of job. But I was, I was filling out the check for God, saying, like, here's a blank check, but let me fill it out. I want this type of job with this salary, you know. and I want a specific ministry role, you know, ministry position. Like, God, I've got an MDiv at this point. I've got a Master's of Arts. Like, all right, God, what, what kind of role are you going to give me? I was saying, God, I'm too good to do certain types of jobs. And God took me on a journey of learning what it meant to follow him, to abide in him, to trust in him, and to rest in him and his provision for my own life and for the life of my family. And God did answer my prayer, just not the way I wanted. It wasn't the way that I had hoped that he would answer that prayer. And that's another story for another day. And so for this group of Israelites, it eventually leads them to not entering into the promised land, the one that we had heard so much about in the book of Exodus. And the author of Hebrews is saying this same thing could happen to us if we do not believe. In Hebrews 3, verses 7 through 12, the Bible tells us, it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. Not only does he provide them with water, but he provides an answer to the questions of knowing God. And then God takes the place of Moses on that rock, and Moses strikes God. The people of Israel should be on trial, but what do we see? God stands in their place. God stands in the place of those that should be accused. Does that sound familiar to you? This is what we get to come and celebrate every single week, that God sent Jesus to come and stand in our place. The place that we deserve, the punishment that we deserve, the death on the cross that we deserved. Every single week we get to to celebrate this, and this is what we see happening even here as as it points to this future picture of what we, we celebrate big time at Easter, but really every single week as a church. Some of you might be struggling going through a hard time right now, and maybe it's led to grumbling. Maybe it's led to murmuring. But we need to remember that God is providing us with living water. If you're familiar with the New Testament story, the woman at the well from John 4 we see talk about God being living water. So Jesus says to the woman, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. In this story, Moses struck the rock and instead of the people, and water flowed to save the people. Water came out of what they were seeking. And eventually, Jesus, the rock, goes on to be stricken for our salvation instead of striking us. God strikes the sun. So listen in closely with me as we we close. There are only two proper responses to this passage this evening. The first response is trust and rest in God daily with provision for your life. You might be that person that's in that struggle. You might be in the midst of that hard time that you never wanted to go through. But trust and rest in God daily with provision for your life. The second proper response is trust in God's son for your deepest need of salvation. Our salvation alone belongs to Jesus Christ. He alone can provide salvation and says that all are welcome to come to me, but you must recognize that you are a sinner, that you need to repent of your sin and embrace Jesus as the provider and sustainer of your faith. Tony Merida reminds us, it says, like Israel, we too are sojourners who have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb, who have crossed over to the other side by grace and are now on the way to the promised land. And this faith journey in our wilderness, God is sanctifying us and teaching us to trust him, love him and follow him. So the big idea today is that we need to learn some things from Israel's wilderness experience since their story is our story. And so as we finish, we have a few ways to respond to Jesus tonight. The first of those is, is worship, and we can worship a variety of ways. One of those ways is we will, we'll sing a couple more songs of, of praise to Jesus and praise him for all that he has done for us and continues to do for us, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what you're going through tonight. In some ways, maybe your posture is going, God, I'm in a hard time, and I'm having a struggle trusting and resting in you, but I'm going to recognize and trust and rest in you tonight anyway. The second way is through prayer. In prayer, we can confess, we can repent, and we can seek the only one who set the table that we celebrate back there for us. I don't know where you're at tonight. I don't know where everyone is spiritually in the room, so maybe, maybe there is some confessing that needs to happen. Maybe there's some repentance that needs to happen. Third way is giving. We give generously of our time, our talent, our treasure as an act of worship. It's part of the reason we have the box back there. As we say, we want to give our best and our first fruits to God and let God use the way that he wants to use it. And then finally, through the Lord's Supper, As a reminder, this is a family meal. It's for those who have believed on or trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation alone. It tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 30, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup And so maybe tonight you need to get clean on the inside before doing the outward side of communion. Maybe, maybe take a few moments. I never want to rush through this time. Take a few moments and, and ask God to inspect your heart. So God, is there any unworthiness, uncleanness in my life this week? Is there any unconfessed, unrepentant sin? If you need someone to talk to, I, I always like to make myself available in the back. If you think, man, that's weird. I, want, I don't want to talk to you. I just want to talk to God. That's fine. If you want to, something we want us to pray for, we have cards in the back. Fill it out. We'll be praying for that this week. And then when you're ready, feel free to take of the elements of the, the bread that represents Jesus' body broken for us and dip it into the wine representing his blood that was shed for us. So let me pray for us. We'll respond accordingly. And then Tyler and Mandy will come back up and lead us in worship through
0: song. Thanks for listening to our sermons podcast. We hope it was helpful for you as you continue on the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. If you sense God doing something in you and would like to talk with one of us about it, or if you'd just like to learn more about what God is doing in our lives, please reach out to us over social media or email, or check out our website at SojournPDX.org. We look forward to hearing from you soon.